Spend your time to spend so much money establishing a veggie garden. You look at the amount of effort that goes into it. Like I could just buy this in the shop, but it's um, it's technically not really about that. It's a it's a very satisfying thing to be able to grow and eat your own food. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Hello, January. How are you going? I'm good, Rose. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's Melbourne without me? Oh, look, we're missing you. I've particularly been missing you in the office lately because um, you'll be you'll be devastated to learn that they've been using plastic uh, plastic spoons. And I know you are not a fan of that in the office. <laughs> you are kidding. Who has let them bring in plastic spoons? Oh. Why has no one taken over the mantle? As you would know, as in the office, we're being so much more sustainable. So I don't know who's brought these plastic spoons in, but they're there. And I miss you telling everyone that they weren't allowed to use them. I remember the looks I would get from people who were definitely sort of like, yeah, they weren't exactly looking at me as like the office saviour. I think I was probably just pissing people off towards the end. But I'm very, I'm shocked and appalled to hear that plastic spoons are in the office. And I expect that you will make sure someone gets rid of them, JJ. I'm going to task you with that. I'm definitely waving your flag, your sustainability flag in your place. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're talking about sustainability this week because... It's funny, moving to another country, I sort of, I expected for some reason that in Amsterdam, you know, supermarkets would be free of plastic, but it's actually worse. Oh, do you really? Find that surprising. Yeah, I actually do find that surprising. So they're not kind of doing the Woolies and Coles plastic bag ban. No, and I I left Australia thinking that Woolies and Coles were the worst, but then have come to Amsterdam and they're literally putting plastic around. You know when you see plastic around a single eggplant, oh, like no. a single cucumber, and then plastic within plastic. They did ban plastic bags a long time ago here. But for the most part, there's actually way more plastic uh, packaging and in supermarkets, but they do recycle it. So I don't know. Do things get recycled? We don't actually know, do we? No, we don't. I think the the jury's still out on that one. Mm. What do you do around the home? Do you have a compost bin? No, but I'm about to start one. I'm... um about to start renovating my backyard and I'm going to install one. I'm actually really excited. I've been reading all about different ones, about what like tumblers, all the different kinds you can get. So I'm actually really looking forward to doing that. What about you? Do you have a little, I know you can even compost in, an apar- in apartments. Are you doing something like that? Can you? I've actually been trying to no, figure you can. that out. Well, we when I was living in Melbourne, I was also living in an apartment, but there was a small sort of patch of, well, dirt really outside that we could put the big compost bin that we transfer everything into. But in my new one, there's not there's nowhere to put the actual compost. Like if I collected it within the apartment, I just don't know where I'd put it. It's really frustrating. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'd ha- we need to do a bit more research on that one. I know. I mean, I feel like you you want to do you want to do the right thing, but sometimes I literally I've googled it and I keep getting all these results in Dutch about, you know, <laughs> where to put your compost. So, I'm going to have to do some Google translating um and I'll and I'll report back to you. Yeah. Um, but look, I guess one of the big ones is plastic though, isn't it? And we've done some research and according to the World Wildlife Fund, on average Australians use 130 kilograms of plastic per person each year. I mean, that's just terrible, isn't it? <laughs> 
yeah, we're using well over our weight in plastic and it's not, it doesn't really seem to be getting much better. We did, um, we did discover that the US uses the most plastic in the world, which is probably not that surprising, to be honest. Um, Rwanda, interestingly, was the first plastic-free nation introducing a ban on plastic bags and plastic packaging in 2008, so that was a while ago. And now in Rwanda, if you're caught with plastic, you can be sent to jail for six months Wow. To be honest, seems a bit extreme. That does seem a bit extreme, surely. And they'll check your vehicle at the border for plastic bags or plastic packaging and then confiscate it from you if they find it. Wow. I mean, look, that's okay, I think, but but jail seems a bit <laughs> bit extreme. Well, Iceland is currently the only country in the world that can that obtains 100% of its energy from renewable resources. So 80% of that comes, 87%, sorry, of that comes from hydropower and 13% from geothermal power. That's pretty incredible. It's incredible. I don't actually know what geothermal power is, but it sounds good. Sounds really good. Costa Rica is among the top renewable energy users, um, with 99% of the electricity needs coming from renewable sources. But in Australia, we only use about 20% renewables. Oh, bow, bow. That's disappointing for Australia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we went to ask people on the street what they're doing around the home to make their homes more sustainable. I could be a lot more sustainable. I am very good at recycling. I don't consume a lot of goods. I own, like, very few things. Every product that I buy, I always check if it can be recyclable. I compost uh, to be more sustainable. I, I try and recycle. I'm vegan, so, like, I don't eat any meat, dairy and all of that. I don't own a car. I walk a lot. I don't use the car a lot in the city. I try and actually minimise the amount of garbage that I'm putting into landfill and try and have a second use for every item that I'm acquiring. Um, I'm aware of electricity usage. I have solar down in my house down the coast, so we're aware of just using appliances when the sun's out. Try to not use that many, like, water for showering, dishwashing, laundry. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm open to suggestions. Today we're talking to Mark Ebbles, head chef at Tarawara Estate in the Yarra Valley. Passionate about living sustainably, Mark and his wife Joanna and their two-year-old daughter have been living in a self-built tiny house for two and a half years now. Also a vegan, Mark was moved by a desire to live with a lighter footprint and do something good for the environment. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell us about your sustainable home. So you're living in a tiny house, is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's a tiny house that me and my partner Joe built about two and a half years ago. Uh, it's on a seven metre long, two and a half metre wide trailer. Fantastic. And you built it yourself. What was that like? Yeah, it was a, a very steep learning curve, that's for sure. Um, my, my dad's a very talented builder and we were staying with him at the time. So he gave us all the, all the direction and helped us out when we were in, in you know, above our heads. Um, but it was a really good learning curve. It was, it was a great deal of fun. How much did it cost to build your tiny house? Uh, everything included, so like air conditioner, washing machine, fridge and bedding and everything, um, it was 50 grand. Wow. It's okay. a whisker over. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's still a good price. I mean, you're not getting a house anywhere else for that price, are you? No, not at all. Yeah. So it's not too bad. And considering I was quite surprised actually to find that 10 grand of that was the trailer and 10 grand was windows. So yeah, the rest of it is actually, 
it's not too bad. Expensive windows. Even I hope they're uh, they're well insulating in windows. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that why? Well, that, yeah, that's why they were expensive because we went for for nice double glazed windows because we were trying to obviously keep our um, energy consumption to a minimum. So we wanted the house to be as well insulated as possible. Yeah, of course. And if we can go back a little bit, Mark, can you tell us about where you were living before the dream of the tiny house arose? Uh, we were actually in Singapore. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah, so very different um, situation. Yeah, very different. I mean, to be honest, the actual size of our apartment there was not that much bigger than a tiny house is. But um, we were both living and working over there. And it was actually, it was one of Joe's dreams to, to live in a tiny house. I'd never heard of it until she brought it up to as my partner. Um, and then we just researched it from there and it kind of grew and spread. And we bought the trailer and the windows and a lot of the lumber for the frame before we actually got back into Australia. So we were got back the day before New Year's and started building on the 2nd. Very organised. Yeah. Did you design the um, the house yourself? Uh, not exactly. We got a um, what do you call it for a house? <laughs> a blueprint <Yep>. from uh, <laughs> online, but we modified it that much that it didn't really match the original anymore. It was that was part of the interesting aspect of actually building it ourselves because as we went along, we could um, adjust and change things, which was quite interesting. And why? What, what sort of motivated your partner to want to live in a tiny house? Was she sort of sick of? rentals that were tiny anyway? Yeah, I think that and also just in a, an effort to try to have less less stuff and live a sort of simpler life, something that I think really appeals to her. And it's a constant struggle, actually, especially having a younger kid with, uh, you know, what do you keep and what don't you? If you have a bigger house, you tend to have the ability to just hoard things. But everything that comes into our lives, we're kind of assessing, you know, do we really need that? Or Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah of course. And I can imagine with a baby, so it, maybe it's easier to sort of cull your own stuff, but then when it comes to having a kid, maybe you feel a bit more guilty about yeah, trying to minimise toys and stuff like that. Yeah, she's got the lion's share of the storage everywhere. <laughs> the smallest human. And what about nappies? Yeah, we use uh, cloth nappies. Wow. They're really good, actually. Yep. I was quite quite impressed because, I mean, when I was a kid, apparently I was in cloth nappies as well, but back then it was like a terry towel and a safety pin. But now they're <laughs> yeah. quite uh, quite advanced and she's been she's got, had the same pair since she was born and she's still them now when she's two so they can, like, size up. They're really That's cool. amazing. Um, for people listening, could you describe your tiny house? Tell us what's in there, how big it is, what your land is like. Sure. The house itself is divided into three rooms. So at the back there's a small room, which is Alba's, our daughter, where she sleeps. And then next to that, running parallel to the kitchen, is a little bathroom. And the kitchen's right next to that. So it's, it's a pretty big kitchen, actually, because I'm a chef, obviously. I wanted to have a bit of space to, to cook and have a fully functional kitchen. And then above that is our sleeping loft, where Joe and I sleep. And then at the other end of the trailer is the lounge room. With a, it's essentially a single bed that kind of doubles as a couch. So ironically, we actually have enough room to sleep about five people in the tiny house. But would you ever do it? <laughs> um, well... We've had, well, including Alba, we have already, actually. Joe's, Joe's oh. brother and her partner came down to stay, and it was surprisingly comfortable. I think you'd want to know them pretty well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or you'd know them well afterwards. Exactly, yeah. If you don't, you do afterwards. Um, you mentioned you're a chef, Mark. Tell us about, like, the kitchen, building the kitchen and what you sort of knew that you needed to be in there, and, and was there anything that you had to forgo? Well, the first thing for me that I knew I wanted was a, a bench that was bigger than 90 centimetres. I'm about six foot seven, which is about two metres, so it's just too low for me. So that was one of our oh my gosh. first modifications was uh, yeah having a, having a bench that was about 25 centimetres higher. And that was actually some of the other okay. stuff that we changed in the house itself. We um, made all the doorways a bit higher and made the loft floor for our bedroom, we made that a lot higher as well, so that I didn't feel kind of cramped when I was underneath it. But in the kitchen itself, there's not that much we had to forgo. 
the guest fitter was adamant that we'd have to put a camping stove in there, which I wasn't having a bar of, because he was <laughs> no, saying, because it's technically so. a caravan, <laughs> but obviously we're not we're not building it to tow it around. We're building it to move to a location, and which is where it is now, and where it's going to stay inevitably. So we ended up just getting a normal gas stove. But everything else is in there, really. All the things you'd find in a normal kitchen. Where is the tiny house located at the moment? Uh, it's in Tulangi, which is a town on the edge of the Arrow Valley, out here in Victoria, the end of the Great Dividing Range. And are you quite close to work? Yeah, it's about a 15-minute drive. It's actually it's a town where I grew up as well. I never thought growing up there that I'd ever want to move back again, but I guess these <laughs> things come around full circle sometimes. <laughs> they do. It's funny how these things happen, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so, Mark, tell us about the sustainable elements of the home. I know that it's really important for you guys to live with a smaller footprint. What sort of things have you done in the home to facilitate that? We focus on our uh, first, on our waste. So we try to buy things that aren't generally packaged. So we shop at a lot of kind of whole food stores and we just have old uh, Makona coffee jars we got from the op shop to kind of store everything in. And then our, our food scraps go into our veggie garden that we're trying to get up and running at the moment. I mean, it's there, but we're just doing our, our planting for summer because we've, we've recently moved into our, our own block of land. When we built the house, it was on mum and dad's block. Oh, okay. Then we took the opportunity uh, last year and moved it to a block of land that we purchased. So we're just kind of in the process of putting in our own veggie garden, which is part of the whole sustainable aspect. It feels a little bit strange at times to spend so much money establishing a veggie garden. You look at the amount of effort that goes into it, like I could just buy this in the shop. But it's, um, <laughs> it, it's technically not really about that, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very satisfying thing to be able to grow and eat yeah, your own definitely. food. So, um, so you've bought a block of land. Is the tiny house a forever thing or is it? do you think you'll eventually build a bigger house on the block? Uh, I think we'll probably eventually build a bigger house. We, we've talked about it a few times and we think we'll probably get until our daughters are maybe five or six or we might feel like we want more space. But every here and there we look at it and think it's probably not really going to be that bad and we probably could live in here forever. We don't necessarily want to move, but we might be kind of forced to based on her kind of needs and desires. Yeah, definitely. And what are you growing in your veggie patch? Uh, so we, like I said, we've just planted all of our, our summer veg. So we've got in our little hothouse uh, um, basil, tomatoes and a few different kinds of melons that wouldn't normally really grow in that climate that well. So we've put them in our hothouse. Uh, got a little trial run of some wheat out, which all the parrots started devouring yesterday, which is very upsetting. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, beans, cabbages, broccoli, kale. Um, we've just planted our, our tomatoes and corn and peas. And then soon we'll be planting our um, pumpkins and sweet potatoes, kohlrabi, and there's a long list of other things that I forget off the top of my head because the list is too long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds amazing. Can you have people over for dinner in the house? Yeah, we can, but it's a little bit awkward, actually, because we don't really have a central dining area. Um, yeah. So we normally always eat outside, but obviously, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tulangi, but the weather's not great there all the time. So if it's yeah, raining, yeah. we just kind of sit around inside. And there's space for people to sit, but it's not um, you know, around a table like it normally would be. A few people sit on the couch, people sit on the stairs that are kind of modular, so they come out of seats as well. Okay, cool. And how are you heating in there? We interviewed um, a couple last season who had converted an old school bus and had the most beautiful sort of um, burner stove inside their place to heat it up. But if, if you've got the insulated windows, does that almost do the job for you? Yeah, yeah. if you have the oven on, then the house can get quite hot. But um, <laughs> when that's not the case, we have a, a small split system that you can buy, I think it was two kilowatts, to heat the place and that has to run for like 10 minutes and the house is warm. 
So it's a very energy Small efficient space, way to go about it. heats up yeah. quickly. And do you have solar yeah. panels as well? Uh, we don't have them set up yet, no. We only have a generator at the moment. Solar panels are one of the things we want to get started. Yeah. Uh, would you consider what you're doing living off the grid? I don't know what the definition would be, but... Uh, aside from power, we are. Yeah. Because um, out there in Tulangi, there's no, there's no mains water. So we're, we're lucky and we're quite specific in the property we wanted to purchase that we have bore water that we can filter and use because obviously our, our um, house has a very small footprint for catching water to, mm. to put in the tank. So we, um, yeah, we fill our tank out of a bore and uh, gas we just cook out of, out of gas bottles. Yeah, the power is still mains power. Not technically off-grid, but we will be soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fantastic. It's in the plan. Yeah. How's it been having a baby in the house? Was your partner pregnant while you were building it, if I'm doing the calculations right? Yeah, she was for the for the last part of a, of the build. Oh, wow. But it's been How amazing. Was that? Being pregnant while we were building, because it was quite early stages, it didn't really affect her that much until it, the morning sickness kicked in and then the smell of lentil oil just uh, disturbed her forever <laughs> since then. <laughs> oh, oh, <no. laughs> I remember we just, we just finished everything and move the house down to where we were going to going to keep it and uh, varnish the floors and was all keen to move in and uh, you know get get going we'd spent months building this thing and she was like no I'm not going in there I'm not going in there until that smell dissipates and it took weeks Oh no the poor thing when the baby was born I mean was it a bit of a, a rude shock suddenly being in such a small space with a, a screaming tiny human I thought that might have been the case, but it never really, it never felt that way. It was always really nice because in in such a space, you can't, you're forced to be together all the time. Um, so, and because it was like that from the beginning, yeah. it's never felt out of place. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it is. It's really lovely, actually. You're making it sound very easy, Mark. I can't yeah, you, see any. You are. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be a downside to this living situation at all. There are, there are. I mean, it also depends on your personality and what what you want and what you like. We we like to be able to kind of be there for her all the time and. Um, you know, if she cries at night, we'll go and settle her and whatnot. You know, people obviously um, raise their kids differently all the time. But, yeah, for us, I guess the downside would be that because it's such a small space, she wakes up crying, everyone wakes up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so what, what part about this choice was, I guess, like financial or social or environmental? I think it was all more of a social thing. Sort of an, an, an idealistic sort of thing that we wanted to do. Um, if we wanted to, we probably could have just carried on, you know, renting an apartment or if we wanted to move back to, to the Arrow Valley, renting a small house or something like that. But I think the idea of doing something a little bit different and trying to do something that could be construed as, as positive and helping to create a bit of a change, quite exciting. Definitely. And have you had people sort of come to you for advice wanting to do the same thing after they've seen yours? Yeah, quite a few people send us messages on social media and stuff asking questions. And a lot of them, to be honest, relate around councils and how to how to deal with them and, and what sort of um, legalities are involved, which is really difficult to answer. Yeah, and I know that for tiny houses it's still a bit of a grey area in Australia, isn't it, whether they're actually sort of considered a proper house? Yeah, I think that, I think that also might vary, you know, from area to area. But where we are, they're considered a caravan. And in terms of living more sustainably, what do you think people can do around the home to, you know, be more environmentally conscious? I think that the easiest thing to do is, is waste and watch where you purchase things from. You're, you're buying things kind of on impulse that you don't really need or things that are excessively packaged like some things are unbelievably in the supermarket. That's the easiest thing to cut out. And the, the um, 
consumption of energy as well. You know, what you do with your power and water is quite important to make a big, yeah, a big change. Definitely. Mark, it's the most beautiful home. If people want to see pictures so they can see for themselves, where's the best place for them to look you up? Uh, probably on, on Instagram, I think. Uh, my partner's probably got more house pictures on, on her Instagram. Mine's full of food pictures, but hers is uh, plant-based, zero waste. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Mark. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hello, my name is Erin Rose and I am a zero waste advocate and that means that I am basically on a mission to engage with individuals to redefine what is waste and how we can create less of it. I run a popular eco-lifestyle blog called The Rogue Ginger and I've been writing about my journey to reduce plastic and stop taking the bin out since 2013. I found that living this kind of lifestyle, I am happier and healthier and I've been able to rediscover how to eat real food. I've learnt new skills. I've cut down my exposure to some pretty harmful chemicals, found joy in moments over things and simplified my life all while saving money. I wasn't always this way. I wasn't the most environmentally friendly person, but it was actually an eco-documentary that changed everything for me, The Clean Bin Project, and I only happened to watch it one day out of complete boredom. It followed a couple from Canada who gave themselves the challenge to buy nothing new for one year and to also create no rubbish. But the only reason why I ended up watching it is because the lead had red hair. And as a fellow ginger, for some reason, we like to support each other, and I don't know why. It was after watching this documentary that I felt like the curtain had been pulled back, and I learned just how much of an impact our everyday choices have on every single thing on this planet. I discovered how much plastic was entering our oceans and environment, how over 800 species of animals have become entangled or have swallowed some type of plastic. It was after watching this documentary, I felt the need to make a change because all I could see was plastic everywhere in my life. So I did a simple Google search asking the question, how can I reduce my plastic? And up came this funny little challenge called Plastic Free July. All the replacements are there. I could get a reusable bag. I could get a reusable water bottle. I can even get reusable produce bags. But the trickiest thing for me ended up being the need to change my habits. I had to undo 28 years of thinking about, well, I guess not really thinking. Soon I discovered that I could get into the habit of taking my own bags, but also learning to slow down and think about my purchases. How was this purchase I was about to make going to impact the planet for the future and the next generation? Ultimately, I didn't want the next generation having to pick up after me. So I did my first Plastic Free July, but it was really hard to go back to Plastic August. So I kept going with this Plastic Free Life. Slowly I found that I was throwing away nothing into my bin. I soon discovered something called a zero waste life, which was similar to Plastic Free Living. It's when you apply a set of principles to your life, which helps you really hone in on making those decisions when you go to buy something and even throw something away. So it's reusing, refusing, 
reducing, repairing, sharing, choosing things that will break down naturally and rot, choosing kindness and being the change. As I started to apply these principles to my life, I started shopping a lot differently and I started reusing and valuing resources a lot more. Food no longer went into landfill, it went into a compost bin. Making that simple swap reduced my bin by up to 40% because that's how much food goes into our landfill bin. I also started shopping at bulk food stores where I started taking my own packaging. So unlike a traditional supermarket, a bulk food store is where you take your own bags, your own bottles, and you can refill without needing to take any packaging home with you. There's a really helpful website called trashlesstakeaway.com.au that allows you to find bulk stores, and other services like delis and butchers that encourage you to bring your own containers so you can really minimise that rubbish. I also started looking at ways to make my own cleaning products and even beauty products. If I don't feel like making my own cleaning products, I can also buy those in bulk at bulk food stores and I can even buy some beauty products as well from bulk food stores. There's also been a huge rise in a lot of packaging coming in paper that I can then put into my home compost or I can reuse as well. I really enjoyed learning to slow down and think about things and how I can reuse them first because it's made me feel like I've got so much more creativity. It's kind of thinking about how our grandparents used to live. They never used to let things go to waste. So it's just getting back into that mindset. All right, so now we're at Rose's favourite segment, Pop Culture Homework, where one of us recommends a book or a film to watch based on the theme of today. Rose, what have you got for me? Yes, so theme being sustainability, I did go a bit left of field for this one, January, but I need you to go with me on this one. So (laughs) this week's recommendation is the film Sharknado. Oh, interesting Have you seen it? (laughs) <laughs> no, look, I haven't seen it, but I am a horror fan, so I really should. And I remember when it um, when it came out and people really got behind it. <laughs> look, to be honest, I haven't seen it myself, so I'm setting homework for the both of us. <laughs> this is the synopsis of the 2013 sci-fi action film Sharknado. Nature's deadliest killer takes to the skies in the ultimate guilty pleasure. Gill, like a shark's gills. I think Love you get it. it. As a group of friends try to save the Santa Monica coast from shark-infested tornadoes. Uh, Rose, is this your extreme way of scaring people about climate change, that there's going to be sharks okay. in tornadoes? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're trying to do to get rid of the plastic spoons? I'm glad that you get exactly where I was going with this. <laughs> I feel like every day we're finding out scarier and scarier things about climate change and Sharknado might just be the most extreme representation of where we could be going if we keep using plastic spoons. Yeah, it's a thought we should all ponder on, I think, especially, where, especially <laughs> sh- when we're taking the bag, the plastic bag from Woolies or Coles. Exactly. Maybe it's going to be a plastic bag tornado. That could be almost as bad as a Sharknado. And then a quick shout-out to Tara Reid, who we all miss, the, um, the 90s star who stars in this film. So if you're not going to watch it for the Sharknado, watch it for Tara Reid. Yeah, definitely watch it for Tara Reid. And, and you said we miss. I mean, she's, not, she's still alive as, a, as far as I'm aware. Is she, though? Is she? <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's alive in this film and I, I hope you're going to watch it, JJ, and I look forward to hearing what you think of Sharknado because it sounds great. It does. All right. Well, thanks, Rose, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. See you, JJ. Speak to you next week. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. 
Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donahue, and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon, somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insure. Powered by property experts, Domain Insure is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au slash insurance slash podcast. Domain Insure AFSL 502088 for the insurer Zurich Australian Insurance, LTD AFSL 232504.